part of what I'm excited about is, and some of the stuff that we're working on internally, is how do we go to the next level of really using things like topic modeling or other types of machine learning approaches to have a deeper understanding of what the content is about and then relate it to things like skills and titles or roles and then to the individual who can maybe tell us more about themselves. As work from home arrangements continue to change the face of work, automation is making some jobs obsolete or machine run. So how can today's workers strengthen their skill sets in order to get the jobs they want? Plus, how can machine learning be implemented to improve education itself? GoOne has the answers and a platform full of courses on both hard and soft skills. The CTO of this innovative company, Barnaby Dorfman, is here to share GoOne's approach to e-learning. Barnaby, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. Right out the gate, we asked this of all of our guests, but for those who don't know what GoOne is, can you tell us what it is and what does GoOne do? Sure. Yeah. So GoOne is a library of e-learning for employees. We've amassed probably the largest library of its kind uh, online, and we make that available to employers to help their employees be more effective and successful in their work. And when you say largest library of e-learning content, like what kind of content? Are we talking about like hard skills, soft skills, both? Give us an idea what kind of skills are loaded to this platform. Yeah, it's, it's really across the board. I've been with the company for a little over a year. And when I first learned about it in my head, you know, because I've been in web development software for you know, many, many years, I immediately went to the kinds of things that, that I've had to do and used in the past, like cybersecurity training or document retention policies. But it really spans kind of anything that an employee might want to learn. I like to think of it in kind of three categories. The first, and we often think, call this compliance. So it's the first things I just talked about, fire safety training, um, mm. anti-corruption training, those kinds of things. And these are the things that you must complete if you're going to be employed at whatever company you work at. But it's also, it's not specific to technology or IT. We, we're, I should mention, we were founded in Australia. We're currently a global company and, and our aspirations uh, really are to, well, our, our mission is to unlock positive potential through learning. Okay. And, and we want to be able to, to do that through love of learning. And we want to be able to do that at scale, you know, up to a, a billion learners. And so it's really across all geographies, but also all industries, not just focused on technology. We kind of, I think in the tech world, sometimes kind of build this bubble around ourselves. Yeah. But it's, yeah. In Australia, we have um, a lot of fire and safety as, a, you know, workers, as an example, um, EMTs. But, uh, but back to kind of the, the types, three layers that compliance or the things you must do. The second level uh, I like to think of is things that make you more effective at your job. So that could be like during the pandemic, one of the things that we've seen grow is skills in things like Excel. Excel is one of our most popular courses. And you know, I, I kind of like to think of it as, you know, it used to be you could kind of turn to the person in the cubicle next to you and say, hey, how did pivot tables work again? I forgot. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you can't really do that now. And so that we're a resource for that kind of learning. And you asked if it's hard skills, soft skills. It's also the soft skills uh, around things like improving your writing or communication or, or how to be a better customer support representative. And then kind of the tip of this, I think of it as sort of a pyramid. The tip of it, I would say, is things um, to help you be more engaged and, and frankly, happier and more fulfilled in, in work and, and I think also life. Uh, so we also have 
meditation and mindfulness mm. at work courses. We have anxiety, stress management. We have things that people can invest their time in to, to well, frankly, be happier. Yeah. So I am familiar with the space. My actual first technical job was in e-learning a while ago. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, I'm going to date myself, but that was almost 20 years ago. Now that I look back on it, it was 2000. It was quite, not quite 20, but it was 2006. 2000, 2006 is when I started in that career. The interesting thing about it then was that companies were definitely trying to make it more personal. You know what I mean? Like a big company, if they were going to launch an e-learning module, it'd be about them, be very specific. They would load it to a learning management system. That learning management system would get deployed through some HRIS tool, like maybe a, a PeopleSoft or now nowadays, you know, PeopleSoft work. There's a lot of them now. Yep. And it would know then like, hey, Barnaby needs courses A through Z. Albert needs one through 10, whatever the numbers were. And it would, of course, track completions and stuff. But the creation of them was quite personal. Is that still the case? Like, are these like more templated courses that make it easier for people to use or add their business practices into that course? Or is it still the creation of it similar to what I described back in 2006, where a company would create their own? And then I guess Go One becomes the LMS that integrates with an HRIS that says, hey, this is this person's completed the course. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely not an LMS. Um, we, we support everything you just described. Right. So we have brought together uh, content from hundreds of different content providers. So people that you know you would know, um, Blinkist or you know Edcast or you know a variety of different companies, through to a long tail, uh, like I said, of of hundreds of different content providers. Uh, Creative Live uh, has a lot of content on the site, and so so that's that's in the library that we have have essentially aggregated and brought together. So there's a massive amount of content available. We also allow our customers to upload the content they may create using an authoring tool, or they may have uh, had uh, a vendor produce custom for them. And then also within our library and the tools that the L&D manager or the HR manager has, they can explore this library and work also with, with folks on our staff to, to really curate the, the learning for their employees, for their learners, and then make it available and or assign it to them, depending on which, which type of learning it is. Got it. It sounds almost like, um, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify things, but it sounds very similar to like a masterclass. Like you're, you're creating your own content. Your other people are creating content for you potentially. Um, and then that goes in. And you said like the companies themselves, they get to create their own as well. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So companies can create their own and they can leverage content from our library. And then and then back to your kind of the way you describe the way the industry works. Still very much that way today. Some of our customers work directly with us and we create a portal for them, a custom basically website where their learners can access the content. But then uh, increasingly, and especially here in, in the United States, uh, a lot of our content is consumed through partnerships with the most popular LMSs and uh, learning management systems and learning experience platforms, kind of however the, the employer wants to deliver that content to their employees, we support that. Gotcha. So give us an idea of what makes Go One, I guess, a darling and a little, I like saying darling, but it has raised quite a bit of money. And of course, it's growing at a phenomenal clip. What do you think for, on your side, on the technical side, what makes it so, what, what makes it unique or uniquely positioned to accelerate this fast? Because to an outsider, possibly they're like, well, the, you know, learning professional development has been around for a long time. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people will think that there's a lot of platforms that can host this stuff. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to understand like what you think is has helped Go One accelerate maybe faster than some of the others before it. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think there are a number of things. One, just general fragmentation. So to your point, there are a lot of players in the market, but they tend to be highly fragmented. And, and the average employer has to go out and find and then contract with and, and provision and make available content from many different sources. And so we make content and e-learning for many types of employees and many geographies available in a single place. And so the convenience of not having to go out and, and do all of that searching and contracting and integration is a big driver of this. I think, you know, if you think about other places where, you know, in marketplaces where aggregation has happened, um, you know, and earlier in my career, I, I worked on the first version of the Amazon marketplace. You know, that was a many buyers, many sellers kind of a story. I think, you know, the corporate learning market is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, somewhere, you know, around $400, $500 billion globally. And so I think the second thing that I would say, and that's, and that, but, but the, the provider's um, landscape is very, very fragmented. Mm-hmm. And so just standardizing an, an interface and an approach and, and a search uh, capability across that, I think is, is one of the drivers. I think a second is, you know, really the pandemic um, in that still of, of that corporate learning market that I mentioned, less than half of it is online. And so, really? but it's the fact, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hard to believe, but that's, that's, that's wild. <laughs> but it's the fastest growing portion, not surprisingly. Yeah. That's been another, uh, I would say, tailwind for, for this company. And I think, you know, and, it, and it's a fundamental shift. I think, you know, the following question comes, well, what happens after kind of, you know, post pandemic. And I think we've seen, like, I don't think any of us believe that we're going to stop using Zoom or that we're going to stop that, you know, the, the return to work, you know, the articles I'm seeing about return to work are all about how the workplace is going to be transformed into collaboration spaces. But, mm-hmm. you know, floor after floor of cube farms, I don't think anybody's going to return to that. I know I'm not. Uh, and so, you know, this fundamental concept of, learning becoming something that happens online and you know potentially in a distributed way is, is is here to stay i would say a third is that and it's still really really early but there's there's more and more innovation happening and the opportunity for us to get to a place where learning e-learning is not a kind of poor substitute facsimile of what would have been done in a classroom but can actually I fundamentally and truly believe, it's part of why I'm so excited to be here, um, leapfrog what's possible for many types of learning in a classroom setting. Not to say that classroom settings aren't going to be great for a lot of things, but it's, and again, I, I take a lot of inspiration from my time uh, in, in, in other companies. And, you know, I think back to, to Amazon in the late 90s when I joined, and a lot of the way we were thinking and trying to solve problems was we were looking at quote unquote, bricks and mortar and saying, how do we be as good as? Yeah. Then we got to a place of like, oh, like the bricks can fly away and we can be, you know, we can, we can really go beyond and, and, you know, think about what's possible now in e-commerce is for for me at least. And I live on a small Island, uh, you know, in uh, near Seattle, but, you know, still a little bit separated. And the idea of having to get on a ferry and go into town to go to a mall just does not appeal to me at all. Um, so, so, so that's 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 what I think is possible and and where we're going. And uh, I think is kind of probably the third thing that's going to make this future super bright. So when I'm listening to you talk about that, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I remember building these e-learning modules, and they were really just powerpoints. Like this, is just, it was basically like we were building tracked powerpoints and. 
especially for a technical thing. Like I remember, let's say adding a requisition, something that every company does uh, for a job, job recs. Uh, for those listening, that's what they formally call a, a job posting, a requisition, right? So you would have to teach people how to do this and it would be like, click in this field, click in this field. And every time you clicked in the right field, it would know that that's the field that was supposed to be clicked in. So then the slide would change and it created like a, like a, you know, a virtualized way of doing your job. So that was that experience back then. What are you guys at Go One? I'm sure developing solutions to help make like the experiences more, I guess, immersive, interactive. Because like the way you were describing what you probably went through at Amazon was, was not going to be done through a slideshow, right? Because these things were just basically tricked out slideshows. Give us an idea of how technology is going to change the way we learn. Because for some of us who have been exposed to that, that's all we know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there are a few areas that are really promising. One is is um, virtual reality, augmented reality, kind of the XR space. We recently announced a, uh, an investment in a partnership with a company called Tailspin, which basically helps employees with soft skills and, and really creates this, um, this virtual environment where a manager can do things like practice giving difficult feedback or having um, hard conversations, potentially, you know, a layoff or, or letting somebody go. And there's some artificial intelligence there that kind of is emotive and, and gives you this experience that, you know, for those of us who've had to do it, unfortunately, uh, can be pretty, pretty difficult and, and uh, you know, traumatic, frankly. Um, and, and just, you know, go through it uh, and, and build up that sort of experience base. It's early days on that, and you know we don't all have a VR headset sitting on our desk. But um, I think things like, you know, the Oculus Quest or have brought the price point and the, the, the performance and, and, and technical abilities of those devices have are coming up very rapidly with prices, you know, staying lower or coming down. Yeah. So I think that's that's an example. And then I start to think about, you know, like augmented reality and and that's still I think a ways out in terms of actually being commercially viable, but you know, you start to imagine like a, an airline mechanic who's maintaining an engine who's wearing glasses that allow them to see through, you know, parts of the things that they're feeling on the other side of a, you know, of a valve uh, to to get to that that screw that they need to. You know, that's that's the kind of of abilities that are coming that's a little bit out there, but I but it's not so far out there that it's bleeding edge. Mm -hmm. The other is is really around leveraging machine learning and data science for personalization, and so getting to a place where it's less one size fits all. And you know, I would say still, I, and I do believe it's very early days. The majority of e learning is either that PowerPoint presentation, or I'd say increasingly because the authoring is so much easier, it's video. Uh, where yeah. you sit and you watch a video. Sometimes it's a recording of people in the classroom. So again, that, <laughs> that facsimile. Um, and, you know, followed by a multiple choice uh, questionnaire or survey. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see people break out of that. So we also recently announced um, that Pluralsight is a partner on our platform. Mm. And, you know, for those of our folks who are not familiar with Pluralsight, Pluralsight is a learning resource for software developers. Um, and it, it really takes you kind of through a journey of, of learning that's very hands-on and practical and, and presents you with coding challenges and the ability to actually do things um, and learn from your mistakes and that, that kind of a thing. And so, you know, whether it's personalization and recommendations, you know, in the ways that we've seen, for example, in say streaming services for video, where based on things you've watched, you probably like that, you know, there's, there's real potential for that. And we've 
you know, we, we've done some of that and, and, and learners in our platform based on what they've consumed prior get recommended, you know, additional things. And, and that's also where some of the power of this library comes in, in that it's not, you're not just siloed with, say, Skillsoft, you know, we can then also be making a recommendation based on, you know, what you've been looking at, at something from like Simon Says, which is a, a Simon Says IT is another, another content provider of ours. But I think it, it, it's going to transcend also into not just the, you like this, so you'll like that, but based on how you interacted with things here, we're going to modify the learning experience there. And that gets a little bit to kind of another way that I think that e-learning will will stop at some point, we'll stop even calling it that. It's just, this will be just how learning happens. I'll just be learning. But meeting the learner where they are or how they learn. Yeah. So some people, you know, for some people sitting in a classroom for six, eight hours a day is the best way for them to learn. They want to be completely in it and immersed and not distracted by anything else. And that, you know, they, they've got sort of that, that ironclad attention span. Other people are much more like, I want to, you know, 10 minutes a day, I want to consume something every day for a month. You know, at the end of the day, the, 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 the minutes may add up to the same, but it's just you know, I, I want to hear a little bit and then I ruminate over it throughout the day and then I come back to it the next day. Some people are more auditory, more, some people are more visual. Some people are, are you know, they, they really need to learn by doing. And so, again, can we present the opportunity to engage with the content and do something um, versus sit back and, and absorb? Um, there's so many dimensions to it. And, and, uh, and I, I think also a lot of it is very asynchronous, meaning, you know, it's, it's sort of, you, you know, it's, it's one way. Yeah. How we how we get to a place where uh, a live instructor? Uh, I mean, you you give the example of masterclass, which is you know they do a beautiful job and amazing minds are presenting things. But imagine that there's some way that you could be interacting with that Martin Scorsese or you know whomever it is yeah. uh, in real time or not real time. But there's a there's an actual interaction as well as collaboration uh, with other learners uh, is something that's more nascent than really there. I would say within the industry and certainly within the interfaces that we're supporting on on platforms like ADP and Docebo and and you know some of the other systems like Cornerstone or Workday, et cetera. You know what you just described the masterclass, right? So if I were to watch a uh, how to direct movies kind of deal with Martin Scorsese, the next thing I would want to do is like probably some type of practical application. And you mm -hmm. just kind of hinted at the future of e-learning where it could potentially get, which is it's contextual and it understands where I'm at what my skill is, but I wonder, is it going to also recommend me? And I'm assuming yes to like the next level. So like imagine, so I'm, I'll use language because I think that's got a lot of corollary uh, adjacencies mm -hmm. because imagine if I was taking um, Spanish and I was like learning and trying to teach myself Spanish, but didn't recognize like, Hey, you're pretty good at this. You might actually do pretty good in, I'm just going to make up one of the other, other, another romance language. Like this is, this is definitively close. Like you're pretty close to this. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, and you know what I mean? And says, hey, would you like to take Portuguese, but not Portuguese one? Maybe you can jump right into Portuguese three or something like that. It might be pretty crazy because part of the one of the biggest challenges that we've seen in the past with e-learning is that the teachers that we know of today, they're really our guides. They help get us to like, hey, you already know piece A. You probably know piece B. I'm going to send you to piece C. This is going to mm -hmm. be the next step in your learning journey. E-learning doesn't often have that. It's like done in a very rigid, in the past, it was done in a very rigid, structured way where it was like, you have to complete one through 20. And when you complete 20, we'll unlock 21. And it was very um, linear. And you already said it, like people are now asynchronous. They do things on their own flow. Like 
And of course, we are we already know everyone learns at a different rate. So there's gonna be certain courses probably they could skip. It sounds like that's where go one and yourself, you know, that's where you're thinking like, hey, if we can build that context into the system, we can help people jump further ahead to what they would be best suited for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say, you know, today, again, because there's there's this wide variety of things for people to explore, there is the opportunity to find and discover things you wouldn't otherwise be able to and, and, and kind of make those linkages or connections yourself. There's also, because of the way many or most of the courses are structured, you can, you know, they're broken down into modules or segments and, you know, you, you're, you're not required unless it's, again, one of these things that's, a, that's, that's assigned and you, you must complete and has some structure around it. Yeah. But in general, if you want to jump to chapter 12 that describes, let's say you're doing a deep course on machine learning, like to your point, I, I already covered maybe, maybe there's a 20-hour uh, course on machine learning, and, but the first five hours is stuff I'm already really practiced at and know. I can I can look through the course description and and jump ahead, um, and then again because it's video mostly and and a lot of our providers and content partners also provide transcripts, so you can kind of scan to see like where is it that the concept I'm looking for is. So I would say for the proactive learner, there's more and more flexibility to do exactly what you described. That's today again part of what I'm excited about it is and some of the stuff that, that we're, we're working on internally is how do we go to the next level of really using things like sort of topic modeling or you know other types of machine learning approaches to have a deeper understanding of what the content is about and then relate it to things like skills and titles or roles and then to the individual who can maybe tell us more about themselves and again this is sort of early, early days for us, but I think the opportunity for us to more deeply understand concepts within the content and then things about attributes of the learner and match those up even before they've gone down a journey of learning. And then once they've actually done it and they've interacted and they've also given us feedback on, you know, just some of the basic kinds of things we do in YouTube of thumbs up, thumbs down on, on learning content to build up a, a profile on a learner. So the more they learn, the more we learn about them. And the more we can become like that great teacher we all had who took the time, you know, in elementary school or all the way through, you know, college, depending on where it happened, to get to know us and to say, hey, I see you struggling with this. I, I think that if you kind of look at it from this angle, or if you go read this article or book, or, or I'm going to give you some, some assignments, or I'm going to sit with you and, 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 and work with you when you get stuck to, to get to the next level. I think we will get there. We're, you know, it, it's piece by piece. But yeah. again, when I think about the journey that I've seen, you know, from, from the first time I got online, you know, using a dial-up modem pre-consumer web, uh, you know, in the late 80s uh, to where we are today, it's still early. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. The way you described it, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I can see that coming down the path. For yourself, what was, I guess, what was the most exciting part about what GoOne was doing that made you say, hey, I want to join this? Because uh, for those of you that aren't following Barnaby on LinkedIn, the guy has a substantial background in technology, serving as CTO or CPO of multiple companies, your advisors to multiple startups. You've been in video interviewing, you've been building, you've been in payments, you've been, of course, you already mentioned Amazon, like you've done a lot of cool stuff. What was it about Go One that you said, hey, this is this is something that's really fascinating. I want to I want to dive back in. 
Yeah, yeah. So my last company, um, Payscale, was a, a great experience, and 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 you know that's a company that that helps people companies figure out how much to pay their employees and employees how much they should earn. And so it's also about at, at its core, I think, optimizing um, outcomes for you know economic outcomes for folks. But I've used it many times. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And and I was very privileged to be there through massive growth from you know under 100 employees to you know around 500 and and you know getting to um, very big numbers. Uh, I don't think they disclose them publicly, but from venture capital funded to two private equity sales. So that got me deep into the kind of the human capital management um, category. Mm -hmm. And I decided it was time for, to do something different after almost a decade there. And um, so started looking around that that company. I mean, part of the story of how I wound up at Golan is is through personal connection, which, you know, it's funny, I, I in my entire career, every job I've had from like my first job as a dishwasher as a kid to now has been through some personal connection. But um, so Madrona Ventures, which was an early investor in Amazon uh, here in the Seattle area, uh, was an investor in Payscale and is an investor in Go One, and so when I decided to to leave uh, Payscale, I uh, let them know, and you know they were very um, generous in making introductions to a number of portfolio companies, including Go One, and, I, and that's how I met the team and um, Andrew Barnes, our founder and CEO, really really visionary, inspiring guy, PhD in education, background in economics and business. You know, the more I learned about the the mission and the vision to 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 really help people again unlock positive potential. You know that that sort of uh, you know through a love of learning in particular, and, and education was a big part of my life. I really enjoyed school, and I was wanting to continue doing something that I believe makes the world a better place and helps people. So that was kind of check was one of the things I was looking for. Um, is there the opportunity for innovation and interesting application of technology and internet and web-based technologies. Uh, absolutely. And again, because it's early, I think there's a lot of headroom for that. Uh, the use of video and the, and the actual technology. My father was a, a filmmaker and, and I grew up around, and around the industry. And, and um, that's another piece that's, that's interesting to me. It, is, it is a, has a marketplace dynamic element to it, which I think is, is also really, really interesting. There's just a lot of power in that uh, and value to be created. It's also the growth rate. Uh, we've been doubling for several years, and our plan is to continue to double in in size from a kind of a revenue perspective into the foreseeable future. And, and again, the the, the TAM, the total adjustable market, is absolutely there for it. And so that you know, being being part of of a you know a high growth uh, organization is something that I've done and enjoyed. I, when I joined Amazon, it was um, you know hundreds of people in Seattle selling just books and music out of one warehouse. <laughs> you know, and um, grew to you know in the time I was there, just just in the seven years I was there, tens of thousands of employees, global you know distribution, et cetera, et cetera. Same you know pay scale that that same growth. So um, it's kind of the part of the ride that I enjoy, if you will. Yeah, I think the last one probably for me is also the, the global. There aren't a lot of companies that that go global from from day one, basically. Uh, or maybe not day one, but really early on. I mean, we were founded in Australia, but uh, we have a development team in Vietnam. We have a development team that's actually distributed throughout Latin America. We have a growing development team in the United States. We're building out folks in Ireland, in Dublin, uh, a mobile development team, more in UK and other parts of uh, Europe. 
And so that, that global footprint, my undergraduate uh, degree was international business. I, I, I spent uh, half of my undergraduate time uh, sp- split between Spain and Mexico. And so the opportunity to, to kind of really work in, in a global organization that's distributed. And then I joined the company in the middle of the pandemic. And, and so I don't think I could have imagined working for and with team that most of, certainly initially my counterparts were in Australia, but, uh, you know, through Zoom and it's, it's, it's worked out. And I managed to recently visit Australia for the first time, which was fantastic. Uh, so I don't know, that's a little bit of what got me excited and why I'm here. And, and uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, no doubt about it. Like the craziest thing about Go One when I was doing the homework on it and our team was doing the homework on it was what you described there, which is like the, the crazy amount of growth. And we've of course seen this on the consumer level before where, you know, people are like, hey, I'm going to aggregate other people's content and we're going to put it through a central platform and people can just go get what they want to consume, right? Whether it's through music, movies, and so on. Those are expensive games because you have to pay all these people. Artists don't just put their content on Spotify for free. They want money back, right? And so Blinkist, you named all these companies, Coursera, Skillshare. Like there's a lot of companies producing content and putting it on Go One. I mean, I'm assuming that's quite expensive. So you have to also make sure you, they're getting a lot of uh, consumers. There's plenty of consumers filling in on the other side. When you started, were all these companies already jumping on board? Like, hey, this is going to be a great thing. Let's centrally aggregate all of our content. Or was there still a lot of friction and resistance where you were helping to integrate some of the technologies to say, hey, this is going to be easy, frictionless. You don't have to do too much. Uh, Give us an idea of what stage of like the marketplace was at before you joined. Yeah, listen, I would say the commercial team uh, at GoOne has done a fantastic job of uh, both sides of the marketplace. Because again, it's it's a chicken and egg kind of a problem. And yeah, um, w- when I joined, you know, I would say the product market fit and the ability to get to scale with both sides had been proven out. Um, there definitely were gotcha. uh, some challenges just on the integration side. And, and, you know, we haven't solved them all because there's a super long tail and different technologies and approaches of authoring, hosting, et cetera, et cetera. And also trying to do that on a global, not trying, doing that on a global scale yeah. uh, presents some pretty unique challenges. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, an initial area of focus was uh, moving from a lot of custom integrations to building out our APIs and the documentation of those APIs and essentially making it so that partners could either integrate directly themselves or a growing kind of ecosystem of, of systems integrators, consultants could help make those connections if that individual wasn't uh, able to do that. We're working right now actually on, um, on a, or we have and we've released and are, are continuing to build out a new service we're calling Connect, which is really aimed at content creators of any kind, anywhere, hmm. and enabling them with a platform. So you can imagine, you know, kind of like, a, say, a large tech company that uh, has a lot of content that they want people who are developers using their technology or build on their platform, think of the large cloud platforms, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of learning that has to happen to be able to actually leverage those those things. Oh, yeah. And so whether it's a company like that or maybe, say, a large consulting firm that has a lot of intellectual property and content that gets created, all the way to smaller players like, imagine, a best-selling business book author who also is on the speaking circuit. How do they make that available and uh, put that into a library like ours that then also has distribution? So you're absolutely right. Like getting all of that content uh, and and having a healthy 
uh, content partner ecosystem is super important. It's something that we have invested a lot in and continue to invest in and we'll continue to, to help them and provide analytics. And, you know, I think we have a vision of sitting in the middle of also helping with a better understanding of what's needed in the marketplace. Where's the demand? Where are the gaps? But yeah, a big, a big part of the work over the last year that I've been here is just in automating integrations, both for people who create content um, to be able to get that into, into um, our platform, but then also the connections out to our partners on the distribution side. Yeah. And then you're familiar with marketplaces. So then you also have to solve this. I'm curious how you're, how you guys are approaching this, right? Because rank relevance and effectiveness are probably, you know, especially since you guys are in a B2B or selling to businesses mostly. It's got to be all three, right? It's got to be relevant to what I'm looking for. It's got to be, it helps me teach the skill better than everyone else. In the past, there are companies that did, where marketplaces were just regulated by the, the creators or I guess the consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Like on Amazon, I get to rank soap and the soap with the best ranking can come to the top. But I'm assuming this is a little bit different because like there's, if I'm a company, there's like almost a level of effectiveness I would want more. Meaning I would, if you're better at teaching my workers a skill, I would want to them to find your course more than someone else's. Like, I don't want entertainers. Like I joke with other guests, but like personal finance has become this like realm of like, who's more creative, mm-hmm. not who's actually better at it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like if you go on YouTube and watch, don't ever watch one Grant Cardone video, because once you see one, you will see nonstop somebody trying to tell you they can help you 10 X your money. And it's like, these guys are good content creators, but I don't know if they're actually good at the skill that I actually want to know how to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. How do you prevent that from happening? You know, I think it's a, it'll become a hard problem. I don't think it is now because, you know, you're familiar with the industry at this point. It's, it's still pretty utilitarian, right? Like the, yeah. the entertainment side of it is not there yet. And we were, I was just at a, at a, uh, an offsite with the, the rest of the exec team in Brisbane and Australia. And, we were talking about exactly this, like, how do we embrace that? How do we go to the level of, because again, it's, it's sort of this, um, the similar thing. I mean, one of the questions we'd like to ask people to frame kind of the opportunity is, you know, when was the last time you willingly um, consumed a piece of, you know, e-learning as, you know, part of your job, you know, on something in one of these systems, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, what's your answer? Yeah, you know, I would say it's less frequent than I when I want to learn skills, me going to YouTube to find it. You totally. know what I mean? Like I've already defaulted to a more entertaining exactly. way to learn the skill. Right. Yeah. And so so the following question is so most people say like weeks, months, never, willing the willing part, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> but when was the last time you learned something online? And you're like, oh, this morning, <laughs> right? Like, because we're all constantly learning, you know, whether <laughs> yeah. it's listening, podcasts, yeah. you know, you know, witness the explosion of podcasts, yeah. this medium, through to audiobooks or just reading something on my Kindle or whatever it is. Um, and so I think we're we're trying to close the the gap from where the industry is today to that place where, you know, it really is um, something that both meets people's needs and addresses the skills gap and other massive changes in the marketplace, but is also truly enjoyable and, and entertaining. And so, yeah, there's, there's still a big gap there as an industry. We're still kind of in, in the, the base layer or the foundational um, side of things. And, and that is part of our vision. But, you know, I think, I think the other thing I would add is the need for this is rapidly expanding based on, just how work has changed. Yeah. And, you know, people talk a lot about the great resignation. Um, but if you look at the actual employment numbers, people are still working. It's more of a great 
shuffle or, yeah. you know, people changing jobs, you know, those, those <laughs> kinds of things. And, you know, I, as someone who enjoys reading about history, I, I, I kind of think about, you know, if you think about the industrial revolution, which basically automated away manual work, right? You know, the steam shovel versus uh, John Henry. Now we've had with the kind of the information revolution and the automation away of knowledge work, of thought, it ranges from, you go to McDonald's now that might have employed eight people or 10 people now employs two people because their machines, you know, taking your order and filling drinks and doing all those things at yeah. one end of the spectrum yeah. to, you know, there's, uh, if you think about like natural language generation and GPT-3 and, and kind of what's possible there, things that the lawyers, you know, content that lawyers would have produced in the, in the oil and gas industry or finance industry is literally being automated out of data. And so what's left is, is kind of things that really require human intellect and creativity. But how you match up tasks work with the right human, and then also how you enable that human to do that work um, is an increasing challenge. And yeah, I think that's at the crux of where so much of the opportunity for e-learning to help lives. Yeah. And I see that with a lot of our guests talking about how their workforce pretty much needs to get upskilled. Uh, you already named Amazon, but like there was an article I remember, you know, it was less than 12 months ago where it came out where they're like, hey, listen, everyone who wants to get upskilled, the door is open right now. Like we have a dearth. We have a whole, like you said, these jobs today, yeah, we figured out how to automate them. But this next wave of things that we want to do, we still don't have people to do that. But to do this thing, you got to upskill yourself. And so I see e-learning having a, a significant greater role in the requirements needed to upskill because a company is going to want to know that you're qualified to do it. I mean, that frankly, like they're not going to, you know what I mean? It doesn't help them for you to just vote with your hand and say, hey, I upskilled myself. They're going to want to know that practically you've done it and that you have proven exercises that demonstrate you have these skills. It's going to be, it's going to be a it's like you said, it's going to be a monumental shift in the, over the next, let's say, decade. Yeah, yeah. And I think the increments are also just going to continue to shrink. You know, the point you said, like, we have people who know how we know we know how to do this. And we have people to do it. Well, anytime I hear 10 people are doing the same thing, I think, oh, we should automate that. I don't care what it is. Right. And <laughs> and then those 10 people are going to get displaced into the next thing. But like helping them figure out what that is, helping the employer figure out sort of how to skill them for it. Yeah. The going off for a year to learn something or five years or whatever it is, is just not, it's not the way things are going to happen anymore. It's constant. Yeah. I can tell you my wife's, uh, my wife works in international tax at one of the big tech companies and it used to be a 50 person division. It's now a five person division, which is crazy, wow. but like that's, that's the amount of technology has helped yeah. automation, like, you know, flowing data points into ledgers. So like, of course they have to be able to spot the problems, but this trend won't stop. You know what I mean? Like, just as you just said. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing some of the insight into why Go One is growing so fast. Because like you said, when, when I read about it, I was like, I don't really understand why it's growing so fast. Like people have been trying to solve this problem forever. Like how can these guys, they've figured something out. So it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks. Because we all came from a place where e-learning, what it used to be. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it was not a sexy place to be. It is now. <laughs> so it was awesome hearing some of your insights. But before you go... It is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Barnaby, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Ready. All right. You've had a tremendous tech career, but you also kind of just gave a hint 
that you live very far away from everybody in a very natural, pristine place. How far away from downtown Seattle are you actually? Because you said you live on a an island. Yeah, yeah. So I live on Bainbridge Island. Sometimes I like to joke that I was born on a small island about the same size and shape on the East Coast, uh, known as Manhattan. <laughs> and, and it is, uh, and that's true. Uh, so Seattle's only uh, about seven miles away. It's a 35-minute ferry ride, but you know, with the pandemic, et cetera, it's been an awesome place to just kind of B and B. There are only about twenty five thousand residents on the island, and it's a lot of parks and and access to water and wildlife. So, are you a nature person? Do you like being out in nature, or are you one of the people that just likes taking in nature and seeing it? No, I like, I love to get out uh, to hike. Um, my wife and I go out for for long walks. Uh, I think they call it forest bathing in some some more woke uh, circles. But uh, yeah, it's um, uh, and we love to be out on the water. I uh, love to go sailing. Love to. In the water, under the water, on the water. Do you actively think about work while doing things in nature or do like ideas just randomly pop in your head? You know, it's a mixture. Sometimes it's an escape, right? Um, and other times I find that it's a, it is just this like open, um, beautiful place. You know, being in the Pacific Northwest, we have incredible greenery and moss and big trees. And um, But just getting away from the monitor and getting away from kind of the rigid structure of, of technology um, into the... The, the natural sort of complexity, but beauty of nature sometimes I think can be a good foil for solving a problem. And so sometimes I'm actively, as I'm walking and thinking like, how do I solve that problem? And, you know, the shape of a tree might actually inspire something. And other times I'm trying to get away from it and then it'll, it still comes to me. And, and uh, <laughs> but yeah. We've recognized this about many of our guests and IT visionaries is that many of our guests are builders of some sort. They build and create on their own, whether it's in code or physically, or they garden or do something like that. What are some of your hobbies that involve creation, building outside of code? Yeah. So um, cooking, food and cooking are also a really big part of my life. I've done it sort of in professional capacities or in related ways. But I like to say that cooking is is the only perfect art form because it's the only art form that involves all the human senses. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously taste, sight, um, the sound of the crunch, the sound of, the, you know, something, um, obviously smell. The ability to create is, is endless. Uh, and there's there's great tradition, but then there's also innovation. So I love cooking. I love feeding people. I love experimenting with food. All right, now we got to ask, what's your killer dish then? If you said, hey, Barnaby, I need you to impress somebody, what are you making? So, I, you know, there are a few things. I make a Caesar salad that um, most people say is the best they've ever had. Uh, I make, same with the coleslaw that I make. Um, that I actually learned uh, when I was working for at a resort in the Catskills as a kid. But I've also really gotten into kind of some, you know, more advanced things like sous vide, which is uh, cooking, you know, in a high humidity environment at a very precise temperature for a very long time. And so things like um, sous vide leg of lamb uh, is something I've also made for people who've said, this is by far the best lamb I've ever had. Um, I don't know. You know, when people ask me, what's your favorite food? I always say something I've never tried because uh, I just, I'm, I always love trying new things. Uh, so. All right. So then, then how does that mix? Because you live on an island with 25,000 people. So I know there's not tons of restaurants next to you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we do a lot of cooking, uh, both you know, in my family. I, I, my wife and I have a, a, an 11-year-old daughter who also loves to cook. We actually live on the water um, and have an oyster garden. Cool. Have our own oysters. Uh, but there are actually, um, I don't know, seven, eight, nine wineries on the island. Oh, wow. There's a great brewery. There's a distillery. There's a great farmer's market. And the Pacific Northwest is just an amazingly diverse 
place when it comes to food and you know of all kinds, whether it's seafood, uh, you know, uh, meats, uh, Washington wine is fantastic. And you know, and again, everything's accessible now. You know, I can I can order something and have it here. You know, tomorrow or in a few days uh, from you know any kind of thing. The same thing that allows me to to work remotely with people from the other side of the world allows me to also cook amazing things uh, that come you know from the rest of the world. But with I, I do have a real bias toward things that are local. Well, if you ever get a chance to, I'm gonna maybe you've already been. My friend owns a restaurant out in Seattle. It's called Homer, and he owns the place next to it called Milk Drunk, which only does chickens, like fried chicken sandwiches and ice cream. And he likes to source all his ingredients locally. So I gotta plug my my buddy Chef Logan Cox. Awesome, Homer Milk Drunk. If you haven't been, give give him a shout. I'll, maybe I'll set I'll help set up a a cool tasting or something. That'd be awesome. Martin, <laughs> it was awesome having you on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing all the stuff that you shared and thanks for giving us a window into your the world outside of you know developing one of the fastest growing e-learning platforms out there. It was great having you on the show. Thanks, a real pleasure. I really enjoyed it. 